We're in the Me Too generation, so I have to be very gentle. You wouldn't have your job if you weren't beautiful. It's very sad. I wouldn't choose to be alone. <laughs> this is a journey. Love tweeted Saturday saying, although I wasn't one of his victims, I was eternally banned by CAA for speaking out against Harvey Weinstein. New dimension, new value. For years, men have been getting a whole pizza delivered to them every day, and now women just want half of the pizza, and men are like, what? Why the fuck am I getting half a pizza all of a sudden? There seems to be, seems to be vital signs of people rushing to take offence to catcalling and wolf whistling. Now, the only people who are taking offence to this are extreme feminists. It's a genius thing that the patriarchy have done. They have made gender-based violence a thing that women deal with. And it's not their problem, it's men's problem. Please, uh, would you mind saying that again? One day I saw a guy trying to take a picture of my skirt. I was getting out of the car with bags and a dog. I didn't actually realise until the picture was in the paper and someone printed this shit. This sort of behaviour, we have to adopt a zero tolerance policy. I think the world's gone mad. Somebody brushed your knee 15 years ago. This is complete nonsense. Now, it's not doing the reputation of Parliament any good. And I can't believe that women are being so wimpish these days. Oh, my God. Feminism is not about females being powerful, it's about redressing a balance and it's about equality and feminism is a very necessary thing for young men to have and if you want to know, if you think you're a feminist, let a woman pay for your dinner and see how you feel about that. If you're cool with that, you're a feminist. If you're not, you need to look at yourself. Hello there and welcome to episode 5 of Men Behaving Better with me, Jareth Regan. This is a very special episode today in that this is the conversation that started the whole concept of Men Behaving Better. Uh, it's a conversation I had with Roisin Conaty, the star of Game Face, Live at the Apollo and much, much more, and Laura Whitmore, a good friend of the show and always supportive of all Irish Man Abroad podcasts. Uh, this took place at Soho Theatre uh, in the spring of last year and really was the germ from which men behaving better grew. It was previously available on the Irishman Abroad feed, but what we've decided to do here is include all of the material that was cut from that episode. You're getting to your exclusive content that's never been heard before, and essence the foundations of men behaving better. I'm delighted to release it for you here. Would you like to hear more? Is there more men behaving better that you'd like to get your hands on? Well, there's two ways to do that. You can come to a live episode next week, December 6th. On Thursday, December 6th, I will be recording two new episodes with Ramesh Ranganathan, Felicity Ward, Sophie Hagen, Catherine Bohart, Eleanor Tiernan, and one more special guest. That's two episodes recorded in one evening. Uh, at the other Palace Theatre in London. I really want you guys to be there. If you're a fan of the show, we need the conversation to extend into the audience on the night. Uh, tickets are reasonably priced and available from the other Palace Theatre website. Uh, the conversation that night will include uh, misogyny in rap music. How do we deal with it? What is to be done about it? Do we ignore it? Or is it something that we just have to accept as a fact of life and an expression of art. That'll be the conversation with Ramesh and uh, those guests. I can't wait for us to have that and for you to hear it. And the second part, in the lead up to Christmas, episode two that night, will be a conversation about what we do about conversation and language used in our homes and our family. 
and how do we call it out do we call it out or do we just leave it and accept again that that's a fact of life and that we can't change an old dog do we leave a pamphlet on the kitchen counter all of these options will be discussed December 6th at the other Palace Theatre in Victoria in London I want you guys to be there simply go to my Twitter feed at Jarleth for a link or go to jigzer.com and click on gigs to get an easy access to tickets the other way to hear more if you're not in London and you'd like to hear more men behaving better is to go to patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad there are extended versions of all our episodes there including video footage of previous episodes if you're someone who'd prefer to watch it and see how it went down in person that's where you can see it patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad but for now let's get to it it's the founding episode of Men Behaving Better, the first place it all began. It's my conversation with Roshan Conaty and Laura Whitmore, live at Soho Theatre. Thank you. Thank you guys and welcome to the first ever live Irishman abroad here at Soho Theatre. This is a very special night and to join me on stage will you please give a very special welcome to our guests Roisin Conaty and Laura Whitmore. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Hello. I, I've often never understood why they do the fake handshake when they walk back out, <laughs> despite having spent half an hour together before. But no, now I, I fully get it. Yeah. It does. It feels weird if I just go hmm, and sit down. Uh, guys, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. And uh, I guess the reason we put this together was because of the turning point that's happening in our culture between the interaction between men and women. And as someone who exists in the entertainment industry, I'm really conscious of it. Uh, when people say that this Me Too movement is changing things, have you noticed a change? What changes do you see, and does it change how you behave? Wow. <laughs> don't, first. don't fuck about, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> We've only got a uh, 60 minutes Ooh. in here, so okay. we um, get straight down to it. I feel like I need a lawyer. Can we get um, a spotlight? <laughs> get a spotlight on Roisin now. Um... <laughs> I think it is changing and I think it's changing we're in the middle of it a sort of a shift in consciousness I think so it's hard to say where everything's going to land yet because we're still I think it's still happening you know we're still in the storm I think there's lots of conversations that wouldn't have happened before that we're you know even this you know mm. asking us about our experiences I think there's a lot of pushback <laughs> you know a lot of um, privilege is uh, a lot of white privileged men feel very angry about it you know that they feel you've seen that yeah, I thought, you know, people, in, they can intellectualize it, but it's about them, you know, sort of saying, you know, it's, we're exaggerating or, you know, it's all, it's all equal. It's all been sorted. Do you see equal pay? It's all like, oh, there's a hint of like, it's all been sorted. You're banging on about it all the time, you know, a tiredness, trying to, trying to sort of make people feel drained from it. Like, oh God, there's that, I think, as and well. You, and do you witness that face to face or are you seeing that online? Both. I really? Better, yeah, not a lot face to face because I don't, you know, surround myself with arseholes. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
and they want to be pretty brave. Um, <laughs> but I, um, I've seen online, you know, but, I, but in saying that, there's a lot of positive stuff. I've seen, you know, people, you know, sort of uh, looking at stuff that maybe they wouldn't have looked at before through different ways. People wanting to learn and wanting mm. to, you know, understand what, why representation is important. Um, for instance, in my job, you know, and I know that's not strictly, that's not me too, which is much, you know, much more serious, I would say. Um, but it all comes under the same uh, thing, I think. Can I say, Laura, backstage, we mentioned, and specifically Roshin mentioned, that women are going through a Rolodex of their memories. Yes, we were talking about that as well. I think there's a lot of things that, you know, as a woman, you put up with in the past and didn't really think about because it just became so ingrained. Well, that's life. You know, Mm. you walk, we talked about this, you walk home at night, someone might try and attack me. You better have someone walk home at me. That's, you just never let a woman walk home by herself, but you don't really think about why because you're afraid of constantly being attacked. Yeah. And it's only now you kind of think, um, that, that's a bit ridiculous. That's vicious. Mm. Like that's the way we. But that's the way we've been always. And it's only now I think with this that we're, as you said, the Rolodex are going back. Going actually, all of that crap that I've had to deal with the whole time. That's not okay. Yeah. So your earliest memory of being told, because Tina said this to me during the week that she can remember getting used to it at thirteen, walking to school and normalizing herself to the notion that well, these builders are going to say what they're going to say. And I'm totally shocked by that. And I know that there's other guys that are like, what the fuck? Like, not, not, not then. No, it was then. Was it the same for you guys? Yeah. Yeah, I know, I know for me it was. I remember like when I was 16 having like my first waitressing job. Uh, but actually something had happened to my mum when she was 18 where guys had tried to put her in a, in a van, basically. But she got away from it. But so that was always in my head being like, I was scared of white fans, like for that very reason, which now I look back going, Jesus Christ. Yeah. But that's why I just constantly, you'd see a van going, oh, I hope. but that was just life. Yeah. That was just the way, and you'd almost think going, stupid me, if I walk down a, a dark alley by myself, I better take the long way around. But that was just life, and it's only now going, like, why have we put up, why, have, why has that been? And I only realized talking to actually the men in my life, realizing they didn't grow up that way. Mm. They've had other things to deal with, but they didn't have that particular situation no. that we had. I had a, we had the police come to our school and uh, sort of talk us how to deal with a potential attacker. Uh, so one of the things we were, t- and I've always had, and even now it's always, so <laughs> I've done this quite a lot. I'm laughing, I laugh and I'm nervous. Um, but um, which was uh, that if you feel someone's walking, this is years and years ago, so this is not advice I'm recommending. It's just what I remember being told. And I'm, a, you know, I was about 11 or 12, so it might not be bang on point. Um, <laughs> but um, so there was like, if someone's walking behind, if someone's following you, the only thing they have, this is a policeman telling you, you know, when I went to an all girls school, we're all listening, like, how do we survive life? Uh, and it was like, if they're, following following you the only thing they have is that they choose the time when they're going to attack you that's the only thing they have so the best thing for you to do is to turn around and to walk towards them because you throw their choices because they'll they'll know when they're going to do it also like not having your hair in a ponytail like we were told this at school this was like a thing that I, I remember like i went to i remember went to a convent and we were playing hockey and we used to have streakers come through the convent quite a lot <laughs> I, I, I'm from Bray, if anyone knows Bray. But I, I remember we were told this by the um, by one of our, by our geography teacher to if someone when came near you to kick them between the legs because that was the most vulnerable spot and it was on this. That's what we were t- told. But I was just now I look back on jeez, like we were told that. Yeah, yeah. there was the no confidence. there was no plan for preventing the street. No, yeah. but they, rather <laughs> this is what we do yeah. when they when arrive. They come. Yeah. <laughs> But I still do that now, the walking towards me. If, I, if someone walks behind me for too long, often I'm like, 
and just start walking, <laughs> walking the other direction. <laughs> always, it's always my. And I'm, I'm laughing at it, but it's it's not. You know, it's it's very serious when you you know when you think about it. That terror, and I've done that. I'd say twice in the last year. I've walked into a, fa- a, a, a door that wasn't my house and knocked on the door, and like someone's come to the door. And I was like, "Hey, Jim," you know, because yeah, you live there, yeah, yeah, because yeah. some of this guy, you know, whether he was or he wasn't, it's what I, you know, I, I'm pretty sure he was, um, and I, you know, but it's the fear that you have, and I just don't think that that's something you sort of we've just always grown up with. You just always know that there's it's dodgy, you know, stuff like that, and then that's a, the, the worst scale, you know. So before we get to you, you guys talking out about it because as I mentioned in my emails to you before this that I do want to talk about the response you've had to your interaction with the world on it and the pushback as you say I want to ask though if you hold out hope for change because like you say there are the men who are going oh god this this is nonsense but I I like to live in an optimism that there are like-minded men to me who think got it bunch of stuff I wasn't aware of that I now need to call out when I see it. Are you optimistic that that can happen? And am I going about it the right way when I say, now my job is to stop misogynists in my vicinity? Even just doing this here now, the fact we're talking about it, this really wasn't a conversation that we had. Or no. if, if we had, it was to a larger scale. You know, you, you talk about really severe cases. But even day to day, like, I don't know how many women are in this audience, but how many women, how many women here at some stage have felt threatened walking home at night? Most women, would I write? Yeah. And it's just the way, we didn't talk about that because it was accepted. We talk about the bigger cases. But it's now looking at the whole, the routine kind of abuse of women in some ways. And we're talking about it now. And I think people are more aware of it. And I think men, like like yourself, yeah. like people in my life are more aware of it and how it has affected me. But there's a cliched joke that a bunch of comics used to do of trying to make women feel safe in that situation by trying to overtake them on the sidewalk and then ultimately chasing them down the road, right? <laughs> and that's a kind of a hacky yeah. joke now. Yeah. But I am at a loss sometimes as to, well, what am I meant to do? So if I'm a guy listening to this, what do you see as the things that you just wish those guys would just start doing? We can go, we know what they're not I think it's meant such to do. a, I don't think it's, I, I think individuals, obviously it's be aware and, you know, kind of, you know, understand that women are always, we've got a narrative going on in our head, but it's a cultural problem. It's not, I don't think it's, that's sort of what we always say, rape culture, there's a huge cultural problem about representation of women, how we're seen, how we're viewed, how, you know, and that, you know, leads into then us being seen as sex objects or, you know, or, you know, things to, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to speak uh, in where, I don't know all the things why women are attacked you know like I don't have all of the answers about that why men who do that do that I don't you know there's there's a you know you'd have to ask someone with (laughs) a brain Um, but you know I feel like there's a huge I do think there's cultural things that we can how we talk about women how we look at women how we discuss women how we see women on television you know there are things this isn't necessarily going to stop that but I think that's you know that is part of the same thing there's a, a how we how we view women and, and, and how we treat them, like, you know, you know, there was, there's cases, you know, rape cases, you know, recently around the world um, where you, you know, how people view women affects how they treat women. You know, it doesn't, you don't just become a rapist or an attack. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's a university, you know, it's a culture. It's how you see women, how you talk about women, how you, you know, and that's the thing. I think so raise my a family member of mine, um, 
his, her little boy uh, and he was playing with dolls and it was so beautiful because he's not been raised to see that dolls are bad or that they're less than or that women are shit you know he's just like these are great look at them yeah they're much better looking than all the they're much more sparkly and fun yeah, yeah. and that's you know only recently and I've seen that quite a lot is that if you raise boys to not think that women are less than or undeserving or you know then I, that's the only thing I've got I don't have the answers you know that men need to look at themselves I think and work out their own uh, issues with women and not all men are bad uh, you know are going to attack women in the street but their men still have you know maybe other issues with women about how they see them and it's that whole thing as well you know like just how guys grow up as well you were saying I don't know I'm not a man but you're, you're brought up to be you're a man you know and I remember like I have two younger brothers I didn't play sports except hockey really badly until the streaker came by <laughs> and th- but then my brothers like they had to play sports because mm. that's they had to do the manly thing and then there's this whole you know just from watching them you know they kind of had to be my brother like I remember falling over when he was playing football and, and started crying and then kind of being embarrassed by the other boys for you know for crying or, or being upset and then this whole kind of culture of like lad banter and like I'm a man and I think some, from that as kind mm. of you know derogatory terms about women has, has kind of spurred from that so I think it's you know you're right it, it starts from like a young age and it starts from you know I do think it's, it's nurture is, is a huge part of it as well I guess I've I've gone into this before about trying to raise Mikey to be a feminist and how I, now people ask me how are you doing that and on a daily basis it's it's basically you're not you're not actively designing a, a life for him as a feminist you're just calling it out when you see it like when he says to me this morning there's a girls football league <laughs> more lads want football than girls why is this and you call it out on the spot yeah. and say yeah. no there's actually millions upon millions of girls you, the girls in your school aren't being encouraged to play it enough yeah um, so that's that's my tuppence there but right? even as women we have I- I internalized misogyny we were raised in this culture we were soaked in it you know so it's not a case of just men like and obviously you know we're not attacking women but there is still our own like, our own self uh, self-worth and our own belief systems you know we i constantly have to challenge myself and be you know how i ask for things and you know because i was right ra- you know i was raised in a patriarchy you know you don't so you learn new things every day you're learning stuff about how you want to be in the world but you you know it is in, it's part we are also part of the culture that we so women you know so it's a thing that we all have to do and be like hang on a minute not just on ourselves but how we judge other women how mm. you know you know how we talk about other women and how that you doesn't really don't realize it's sort of subconscious that you've learned that how to speak about women that way or judge women really harshly if there's one woman there you know all your eyes go to her and, and everyone talk and it's a thing you become aware of when it happens to you you mm. go like god we do you know that is a thing i used to you know do i think one of the shifts that i recognize and i think your show game face was part of it for me right oh god. is that game face <laughs> had so much subtlety to it and so much of it was about it is not black and white there aren't just this type of person and this type of person and marcella wasn't uh, what she appeared on the surface at the beginning when you're going into writing game face was that Excellent. a goal for it you were so lovely about the show thank you um it was i felt uh, it was and you know i wanted to write a 3d person and i felt that was really important because that's what i like to watch it wasn't really you know i just felt like it's much more interesting to watch people that you you know most of us are half arsehole half decent you know on any given day you know everyone's someone's arsehole you know um <laughs> 
and so <laughs> that's just you know and that's the roles we have we have to all play our role sometimes you know that's sort of we, we you know and I felt like that's that's what I wanted to write I wanted to write yeah. someone that was believable like Roisin your stand up was your thing up to that point mm. and you were pushing in some ways like when we when we as people reach for the thing that we think we want that we wouldn't really say to people but secretly I'd love to have my own <laughs> six part sitcom I mean it's risky you put yourself out there in a way that uh, makes yourself vulnerable and you do the exact same thing Laura when pursuing acting when going no I'm not just this thing that you have me pigeonholed people love a box at. don't they, they? Do. they're like you spend your whole life like filming filling in like sheets and stuff going which one are you tick 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 and I think we all do it like you know, even when you meet someone what do you do who are you I need to have this vision in my head of what you are and I think it's it's great to challenge that all the time you know and you've done that and you've done that you know but how hard was that for for both of you I'll put Shit the question hard. to both of you because yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, when when you start, you're obviously privately training away. You're taking courses on. Well, I your did own it before time. I even exactly. got the MTV job. You know, that's that. You know, I, I have a degree in journalism, and I went. But my, my background was drama, and that's what I was. But then suddenly you get this is my issue and my problem, and I have to deal with. What will people think? Yeah, you know, and that's always in the back of my head for everything I do—a new show or, or anything, any new project—is what will people think of me? And who are you thinking? Like, I know who I'm thinking of when I go. Yeah. What will the, the people? Who are they? Think? I don't know who they are and why I give a shit about them because everyone around me is great and supportive. But it is—is is that thing in the back of your your mind that the greater mass that the mm. people who like who are on you know hide behind computers and and God forbid you do anything that's not the norm. Yeah, with a football pro with a football flag for their profile, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dave. <laughs> Oh, Get out of You it. know Dave as well. Yeah, God, always asking me. Um, so much of uh, the acting, though, but <laughs> for both of you, I, I always find it really odd whenever I find myself being asked to act a thing. How little direction actually is there? That there is someone going, this is the thing. You've yeah. written the lines in your case, but ultimately you are kind of slung into it and told, do your thing with it. Does that terror? dissipate over time or are you the whole time going fuck now I've got to I've got to be this character you know as a comic like I didn't go to a drama school I did film at uni um, but I, I, I do I do uh, I mean yeah I think it's very difficult to change gears but I think it's you know important to try all the stuff you want to try and not be held back like you told me backstage that you haven't done stand-up in a year. Mm. Laura, you went on tour with this show for a full year and immersed yourself in that. Was was that a point of kind of uh, like a detox from everything? I, I said, yeah, it was like rehab. But I think because I've because I was you know you know living in London or like traveling around and you know what, when you do stuff on TV, it's very different. Like people are watching you and everyone has an opinion and it's quite full on. And you kind of get in this little bubble, like you know you just kind of get sucked in. It's like a roller coaster, and then you kind of go away from that. And it's probably more exposing. It's more stripped back, like being on stage every night. But there's something quite therapeutic in it as well, because um, you have this you know this cast that become your family, and you know you're away from your own family. So these people become your best mates and you know your best mates for life and um, for a lot of them But yeah, I found it quite therapeutic because I was away from the hustle and the bustle and the million other things when you know I don't know how many people are from London, but you live in London There's like a million things going on every night and you just you don't stop and reflect ever mm. and that's probably the first time I did one job 
for such amount of time because yeah. normally you do 50 million jobs or anything else you can squeeze in in the morning or in the evening and you're doing so much I was like I'm just doing one job here consistently and you form these intense relationships on set like you know if you you know like yeah. or, or an acting or you know kind of because you're with them all the time I haven't done a tour but like even on set every day for six yeah. weeks with the same people you're your best mate you do have yeah you sort of have that it does feel sort of like your brain you sort of go well, I had a different life once I think and you just, <laughs> just remember just these people, people all the time yeah. yeah but there's something lovely in that too that's just like that's just being a human as well how no matter what job you do and you know whatever job you have that you just it's so important to have those relationships human relationships with people this thing that you're describing of kind of that unity among the gang and that sense of it's kind of like going away to summer camp in some ways yeah. is and I'm sorry to bring it back to this is what some people say has produced the behaviors that have come out of that mm. that sense of oh well you know we're all we're all at the Gwailtucht sorry mm. to use a really Irish example of <laughs> you've dragged them into it yeah. <laughs> of all the people to drag into it good summer is such a good summer Irish college as most people here will know <laughs> is a place where the rules go out the window in many ways it, am I right in saying that that, that kind of uh, Stockholm syndrome <laughs> that you develop in a set situation can lead to behaviour Sexual or otherwise, I'm talking about temper tantrums. People throwing the toys out of the pram because they've been separated from what is real life. Mm -hmm. And that normally things that happen in your daily life don't push you over the edge this way. But because you're in this, on this project, and it is your project, in your case, Roshin, it's like, it's your neck on the line. So when it's going south did you throw some toys out of the pram I guess that's kind of did where you? I'm going yeah. with this uh, did you did, did you, you ever have I mean have where did the girl tot go <laughs> <laughs> I can't even say it um <laughs> I well um, get, get you need to, you need to get um, um, I don't think I did. I it's very hard. I think there's a lot of a lot in that question. I think there's sometimes those sort of like you say getting away from it used to be very male, you know. So I think there's a lot of the more senior you get in any profession, they the women sort of so you have lots of males on top. That's what you have. So they have groups away and you go, Oh, it's the board or it's the blah blah, it's the golf and you go, Oh, it's you must well say men, men, men and I think any group that is all men men with power uh, for a long time I think it's just not healthy and I think it can it, it's just not great for um, probably moving things forward in terms of attitudes to women because they only women are always below them in the profession yeah so that's so I think if you go away I think being on set I think if you're in a position where I if you're about power maybe I think you're asking I think it is stressful I didn't throw my toys at the pram I think there's a I think it's sort of the opposite a bit with women sometimes I think it's you're judged harsher mm. and you can always feel that like sort of like whereas I can watch men ask for something and it's like of course of course yes sir of course the man wants a thing you know and uh, and, yeah. and then I'll be like oh I'm not really sure about that They're like oh really you know and it's I feel yeah. like I had to not like with my show but in previous you know in certain I think sometimes you, I feel like you have to be aware of of asking for things because there's a there's a real thing like women are divas women yeah. are bit you know it's just yeah, a men thing men have a process yeah she's a prima donna yeah totally so are you have you seen it at all and are you more understanding of it now that you've been the person who's, who's I name think any is woman who has 
become successful in my field or in any sort of in, I can only speak of the fields I know entertainment field or any field actually I would say I would say there are people that would say things about her they wouldn't say about a man they would judge behaviour that she that you know that if she was forthright if she said this is how it has to be if she you know that they would that behaviour would be judged as, as a personality flaw rather than someone who knew how to get the job done in the time that they had to get it done and I think that's just a, that's the difference we have you know with how we treat men and women and it's changing and I you know I did on my show I had lots of I had a female producer so you know I surrounded a really great director it was a, a lot you know and that was on purpose you know to make sure that but there is a, a and a really great cast but, and but I you do feel it even as a woman that's what I'm saying I feel it I'm like sorry excuse me uh, sorry sorry you know like it's that and I feel like I just want to and you lose 10 minutes sort of trying to make sure that you've said all the polite things by going I um, you know like I don't want to do this this mm. way you know and then you watch a man they go hey sorry no this isn't right and no one feels like you know he's horrible with women we're, ju- we're just I feel like we constantly feel like we're being judged in a different way to men I had a situation in a particular job where it was, it was a guy in this particular job who was just kind of just being a little bit arsy to me, but I didn't really know why. And it took me a while to figure it out and he found out. And I had a bigger role in this particular job, but I was getting paid more money than him. And he knew, yeah, he knew this. I didn't know that he knew because obviously yeah. it was, you know, confidential and, you know, it's up to yourself to fight for what you think you're worth. But, you know, people sometimes don't know what the other person's being paid. And, and he found out whatever way he did how much I was getting paid and it kind of came down to it one day I was like what's your problem and it came down to the money thing so he, he told you there and then it's pretty the much yeah wow and I was like I do have a kind of a bigger role in this but I was younger than him and I was female both of you have talked about you know something that's connected to this which is self-doubt and struggling with self-doubt and I, I'm sure that the Irish people in this audience who we've established are 99% have <laughs> have this lingering sense of I'm no good I'm not who am I to be doing that sure why would I get that or, or, or is it God forbid you, you know you're too big for your boots so look yeah, at her yeah. now Jesus far from that she yeah. was raised what, what <laughs> will people think Roisin most recently I heard you talk about it the self-doubt and overcoming your self-doubt what, what are what were turning points for you in terms of that because you must surely at this point there must be. Tell me that there is there is a greater self belief at the end of that, or is it just something we're saddled? No. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you know, I have that thing of of a kind of I'm, I'm not very, I'm ter- you know I think we've all got it a bit you know of that um, I'm terrible I'm rubbish everything I do is terrible I'm rubbish everyone's going to find out I'm rubbish and then a part of me that's like I think I'm really good actually um, <laughs> and that's my head and that's what it's like to live you know I have moments and those moments of but I think the main I think what, the way I would do it, it's quite bleak how I have this is how I get to. <laughs> talk myself into sitting down and writing two pages I have to go like one day I'll be dead no one will care Um, (laughs) so if we start from there (laughs) it's actually not the worst though no you go it's it's time's a waste totally I go no one cares and I feel like I want to have a big life and not like successful famous but experience different things I've always thought that if I I wanted to travel or do Mm. I don't want to be in the middle I don't want to do things where I sort of just don't do a lot but I feel like it's I've got as I've got older I've learned to you know accept that the fear isn't going to go anywhere and if you wait for that to go if you wait for permission no one's coming to tell you you're good enough to do it but yeah so I feel like once you sort of know that the fear is not going to go anywhere and that everyone who creates anything 
and also people who are really shitty and critical are normally really scared of Insecure. the stuff they didn't do or the stuff they want you know it's, I can that's my thing I sort of on Twitter made a rule I, was, I don't tweet about the things I don't like you know like it's I don't want to put that into the world I'd like to hear what you think about this Laura because you you know we all have our triggers mm-hmm. and I'd say it's harder uh, to kind of like uh, the further you get along the harder it is to complain because nobody fucking wants to hear it. Everyone's like, well, what, what the fuck do you have to complain about? I mean, really, things you are going great for you. You don't know what it's like, yeah. but, but no doubt you have your triggers. There are things that I'm sure that you watch back of yourself and think, oh, God, I don't know what who I'm trying to fool here. Mm-hmm. Like, you must... I'm not saying... I'm not, I'm, let's be which, clear. Which, which video did you watch? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All let's of them. I'm not saying this. I'm more or less talking about what I go through yeah. and... You know, and I, I'm a supremely talented person. Obviously. Uh, uh, can you tell us about, like, uh, how surprised would people be to hear exactly the level to which you doubt yourself on a daily basis like at this stage? all the time. And, do you know, what? it's that constant thing of, this is what I've been like from the start. Like, someone's going to realize I, sh- I shouldn't be here. And I'm just waiting for that person to walk in and be like, okay, and I won't even say anything. I'll go, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got 10 years out of it. Good for me. Um, and it's that constant thing. And I, like, my very first job, I went from studying to like being this um, intern in this like radio station in Ireland, making the tea and no one listening to you and trying to do reports when I could and in a newsroom and newsrooms are cutthroat to then winning a competition and being an MTV presenter first day of the job interviewing Coldplay in LA. Like people back in like home are like, what the fuck? <laughs> Even people I went to school with were just like, how did that happen? Like, you. And I remember going to, like, interview, like, Coldplay going, I am so out of my depth. Yeah. But they don't know I'm out of my depth. And that's, and that's what I've been as long time. Like, nobody knows you don't know what you're doing. And then one day I remember interviewing someone... Like, actually, quite a lot of people, even like the big stars, I mean, like, they don't know what they're doing either. They're nervous too. And that's what kind of got me through a lot of, especially the early days. Like, no one knows what to do. And we're all just chancing our arm trying to get by until someone tells us to leave the room. And that's kind of, but I don't know. I, like, yeah. that's kind of what gets me through it because that's what's going on in my head all the time. <laughs> I mean, Anyone else? No, just me. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, no, I, I do know exactly what you mean about the internal dialogue. It's mad up there what goes on. Yeah, well, we've we've had, uh, you know, uh, Enda McNulty is one of my favourite episodes of this podcast, and he told me a a thing about, like, a a confidence CV, which sounds like, any time I tell Irish people about this, they're like, oh, will you fuck off? (laughs) A confidence CV, yeah? It's pictures of yourself, is it? (laughs) But, But, like... I, I, uh, I don't know if it's getting worse, but uh, I definitely am side of stage sometimes just going, this is the end. This is done. Like, once this happens, every, the word is going to spread around. That you're, you're so conscious of how quickly the bad news uh, travels that I sometimes find myself paralyzed by it. I find myself tweeting less because you're just like, I'm just going to get shit whatever I put up here. Mm. I mean, you're two people who have faced immense trolling online. What is, what are both of your Dave, approaches? Dave, that's that Dave. Dave, uh, who's here tonight. Dave. Um, Where are you, Dave, in um, your jersey? Who do you support? If you're, if you're advising me on your approach to dealing with this kind of stuff and this kind of nonsense that you get back from people, like, is it a blanket, just ignore them and block? 
or do you engage on any level? I think it depends. I know for me it depends. Normally, I sometimes I like don't engage. I kind of had this thing in my head where I try to keep my, especially social media side of things, as positive as possible because there's so much negativity online. I try to be as positive even when the shit happens. But every now and then, Dave or whoever it is, sometimes I think if they're not some people just want to get something out they want to rile you up they want to get a reaction yeah. and you realize quite quickly they just want to say that you tweeted them back you know they just want a bit of a like a bit of an argument for no reason but then there are some people that i know for me i have replied back and not in a ranty way and not in a you know not looking down way and just whatever the might state of my point whatever my opinion is on something and have kind of changed opinions a little bit no Somebody Shock. has taken. I someone's on board. actually listened to what I said, and then there's been a few times as well where you'd get someone saying, "Oh, like I remember someone being like, there's loads of pictures of you on your Instagram." I'm like, "It's my fucking Instagram." Like. <laughs> and I kind of went on. Sometimes it's fun to like go on their Instagram. It's like there's loads of fucking pictures of you on your Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "Good point. Thanks. Move on." Do you know? Do you know? So there's some people who just just like to have the chats, and they just that's all they want. But I have had a few times. You know, I know like a recent Instagram I put up about, you know, something that happened in Ireland and I, I put up my opinion on it. And, you know, there was one or two quite negative and I replied back and then it, it changed perception a little bit. Woohoo. Thanks. I think you have to you have to be careful with the battles you decide to kind of yeah. take on. I mean, what are, what are you I've, um, I'm normally all right. I <laughs> I'll just say fuck off. <laughs> and I know it's beneath me. It's beneath... And I know... And it's tacky and my sister will phone me and I'll delete it two hours later because I feel bad. <laughs> but she'll phone me and she's like, have you drunk wine? Delete your Twitter. <laughs> and I hate... And then, you know, and the thing is, it's exactly... It's what Laura's saying is right, you know, is... You know what it is? If it's Dave or people like that, but it's when someone is... Like, someone went for a charity and they had, like, all the hallmarks of being a decent person. They just came, like, just but almost like a drive-by. Just added me in, like, a teardown. Like, <laughs> real... No need of, to at you as yeah. well. Like and I was like, so I just always say, you know, adding them. But I do think um, it's that thing, isn't it? It's, it's like our brains, how we focus on the bad. You know, we're evolutionary designed to remember the bad stuff because it keeps us alive. You know, you're like, lions, remember lions. You don't need to remember compliments. You know, you need to remember lions. Um, so it makes sense that we focus on the bad. You know, it keeps us alive. So what I try and do now is if I do that, if I respond to some of them, then I, I and when I do, I do like once, at least once a month, I'll be like, you know, just if you catch me, if I'm pre-menstrual the right days happening I'm almost grateful like lipsticks my gum like come on <laughs> you know <laughs> brilliant but now I, try, I respond to the people who send such kind comments yeah. and I, that's what my sister said to me have you read these like really lovely comments people have taken the time out of their day to so send you, you a nice comment and you that, just ignored yeah. them like uh, of course that makes perfect sense they'd say I was good <laughs> you know <laughs> you know and so, it's, so I try and respond to them and be like thank you that was really nice if I'm going to take the time to focus on the bad and we will always your eye it's like when you do stand up you know if you're on stage you can have a room you know and you'll have one person maybe 20 rows back like this and you just start playing to them like demanding their attention yeah. over the attention of everyone's going but we're laughing you know play to us so yeah try and focus on the good exactly what you're saying it's that thing as well again from like you know interviewing people over the years I learned that sometimes we don't give compliments and you know, there's, you know there's been a few people who I assume must think they're great because they're great and everyone knows they're great and then saying something like you played that part in that film and it was it was incredible like it, it moved me to t tears and that particular scene I thought and they're like really no one's ever told me that before and I'm like people must tell you that all the time mm. and like no because we don't really 
give out compliments, especially to people who you think know them. Well, the fear is they'll go like, obviously, but there's not <laughs> I mean, true, there are some you know, people like, like that not, as well. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it is that thing of saying, you know, I think you're really great. Yeah. You're amazing. I, yeah. I, I, and I'm t- telling you that yeah. now. And yeah. I think yeah. they're yeah. <laughs> no, But it's that, it's that thing. And sometimes we don't do that. And even to the people closest to us. And I mm. think that's really important to do as well, because we're so bogged down by the neg- negativity and the shit stuff and the news. And it's and always our own bad. Heads, our own heads. And, and that voice in your head. Work, you know, so you, you've got in your career, we've all got in our careers, in our lives you can all think of like three or four people who've given you like they wouldn't even know how important the words of encouragement they gave you at the time because they're not they don't show up like Morgan Freeman like sit down child it'll be you know like a cu- it'll, be a cu- it'll be a couple of bits just at the moment when you're like I'm about to give up or I'm about to and someone will just say a thing and it's just a, a, it, because they chose to say it your brain got a little bit more like actually do another you know do another paragraph or go on and do that gig don't cancel that gig or whatever you know those moments where someone said like I saw you I think you're really funny actually and you think and they just walk off and they don't but that compliment did mean you know yeah. something yeah, yeah. to you and uh, yeah I, and I'm now I make a point of it that yeah. if I like a thing to reach out in some way or another rather than being that guy who reaches out the second he doesn't like a thing yeah. yeah because if that was your norm this cesspit that is Twitter now would be much better it, it would probably be quite saccharine and hard to take but it would be an awful lot better than what's there. But it's also good for your own brain to go and seek out art or things that you like. It's like, you know, you, sometimes you have to do that. You have to be like, if you think a certain thing that is not healthy, if you are oh, this, these kind of things, I hate these kind of things, and they're all rubbish, it's good just to challenge yourself and go, I'm going to watch a, you know, a, a blockbuster that is good. You know, just to sort of, I think it's, it's a good way to live your life because there's always good versions of the thing you think you hate. At the end of the day, it all goes back to, you know, you have control over what's going on in your life and what you see and what you choose mm. to see and what you choose to do. And sometimes we kind of think other people have that control over our life a little bit. Oh, that's you know. so true. But at the end of the day, like I'm going to quote like a Wilson Phillips song, but no one can change your <laughs> life except for you. Um, but it, it is that, you know, and I do think that we do, we, we can control what we see and it's important to see as much as possible and to be open-minded yeah. as much as possible. Yeah, I'm definitely at a big risk of just absorbing what the stream and the scrolling but you can also you can also decide what you see on that yeah within reason I f- but the thing is I do follow people that I disagree with as a choice just so you can say yeah. fuck off to them more no, no no just to make sure I know what's going on in the world I think otherwise True. you can live in your bubble and I do so the Twitter isn't a place where I go to sort of have a nice time uh, like I don't it's not like you know when you get like a magazine or something you know you go this is I like this stuff I, I'm, yeah I'm going yeah. into a thing you know I follow a lot of people that I hate um <laughs> But politicians, yeah. American politicians, stuff like that. I just don't want to. I just don't want to not know. Like who yeah. I follow, what Roger Stone, what are for they instance. Actually saying, yeah, yeah exactly. and I, I did, yeah. you know, the belly of their arguments because you're like, oh my god, got? and then you see yeah. it come up. You know, you see it happen. I want to move on to this idea that you signed up. Now that both of you are public figures, far more public figures than I am, in the sense that you have put your life on screen. Uh, you've, I'm not saying you are Marcella, but it is so, so much of the experience is drawn from your own life. Laura, in the past little while, you've become a lot more open about your relationships and being like, I'm going to own it. I am seeing someone and you can fucking deal with that. And you Exactly know. how I said it as well. <laughs> and I just met her. She was yeah. <laughs> here. I've seen someone who was just fucking deal face. with it. <laughs> All, all you said was hi. Yeah, like, She's like, Jesus. Nice to meet you too, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> exactly how it happened. But that is a, that is a big change from uh, the last episode we did together where 
you know, I felt bad after that episode. Well, I felt bad for two reasons. I, I, I know what yeah. the first reason was. The first reason was... Uh, we press record. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that. We, Don't forget I to press, press record, record, everyone. Uh, we were in the MTV studios, and it was in the old days when I just had the Zoom recorder balanced on the table. And at some point, I knocked it over, and it stopped recording. And we spoke for another good 40 minutes. <laughs> And, uh, it was a lovely chat. But I had a proper panic attack, you might Aww. remember, when I realised during the interview that it wasn't recording. And uh, I was like, I mean, I, I had to walk. I was like purple at the time. I just remember leaving. But you gave me the, you said, come in another day and we'll do the yeah, other Yeah, it was lovely. And we did. got more of a chat and it was, it was very nice. Yeah, but at the time, like I yeah. say, you were at a different headspace in terms of the public and what you revealed and I felt bad for asking questions about that now still ask them though didn't you <laughs> but like I said like I said I immediately well first of all I was convinced you hated me afterwards no I thought you were so lovely you were so yeah, sweet yeah no honestly I swear <laughs> I mean it was, it's probably the one episode across 238 where I felt like who the fuck are you to ask those questions? Because I, I was like, where did it even come from? Yeah. And I felt like I was being sucked into that media thing of, so say something about this. And I did it, and it's probably the only time in the series that I've ever done that. And I felt dreadful about it, but now I see you talk about it in, in the press, about how they think I've said this, so now they're entitled to the whole lot that they can. Well, they it's can that have type of thing. Like. like something happened. I remember, like uh, you know, when you're in the public eye, and so, like I in, like I spent ten years interviewing people, so it was never about me. It's about who I interview. So I never understood why people were interested in me because. I know, maybe coming from a, a journalism background, I was always asking people questions. Yeah. And then you were also, I don't know, when I, when I studied, you know, you learn about defamation of character and what you can say and what you can't say. And then you read things going, well, media law just went out the window. None of that actually makes sense. And then I kind of found that sometimes when you don't talk about things, people have more of an interest. And as soon as you talk about them, people don't give a shit. Yeah. It changes like that. Is that true? Is that your experience? I think Ali? so, a little bit. Because I, I was so guarded. And I think it's that being on your guard because you're like you kind of think someone wants to be mean or someone wants to you know jump or, or find to get mm. something from you or like what do they want constantly but social media you create the narrative and that's the mm. thing it's been it's, you're in control of so if you want to share it it's your prerogative to because you say I'm going to share this yeah. this thing about my life and my story in the way that I choose it's different when someone's going Laura blah blah, blah and you go that's not the thing yeah. or the someone one. outside your house taking pictures totally. of you putting it's the bins different. out going oh, fucking you're serious like yeah I mean I, I don't know like you've you've written a piece about this specifically for Huffington Post yeah, and, and Hot, Hot Press that yeah. is to come out this in week. the coming week. Yeah. And when I read it, I mean, my head spun around the idea that you would be pursued in this way. Mm. For Maybe you can explain to people exactly the extent to which you were pursued. And this is post well, Strictly it wasn't even It wasn't even just me. It was just a lot of women around me. And I think we all kind of got to the stage where we were just like enough. And it's not even... To, I think it's, something happened in the press with um, a court case in Belfast. And something from that was just the reaction I got from girls DMing me, being like, you know, stuff like this happens all the time, like lad banter and, and people, you know, women, and this is how women are portrayed. And from that, I did that thing where we talked about where that Rolodex of you go back to everything that's ever happened to you in the past. And, 
you know, I talk about different situations and things that have happened to me and why people are, you know, as a girl in this industry, you're associated with, you know, the man who you're going out with. Why does that matter? I have a career and I do it. Why is that the only thing that I'm about? And I kind of, I remember when I signed up to do Strictly, which is a great show and I love dancing. I love that side of it. But it just became this other thing as well. You know, you're having a relationship or you're not having a relationship. And there was photographers outside my house. And one day I saw a guy trying to take a picture of my skirt. I was getting out of a car with bags and a dog. And, and, and then I, I saw, I saw the, I didn't actually realize until the picture was in the paper. Someone printed this shit. And I said, what are we doing? And now when I look back, why are we sexualizing women and putting, and I, I didn't put myself out for that. Signing up for a TV show or whatever you do does not mean someone should be outside your house. I'm not in a zoo, do you know? No, it was zoos even more thing. shocking within the piece was you revealed that you did go to police and say, oh, yeah. how, is this not, how is this okay? And I felt, stu- I felt so stupid. I remember calling the police because I was, my housemate was away at the time and I was home alone and I was supposed to have a meeting with my accountant and there were these, there was actually quite a few outside and I it just, and also I had this, I have neighbours, so you're just more, you're embarrassed because mm. your neighbours are going, why are they? And I just felt, I felt, stupid more so than anything else and I called the police and asked this police officer came and I haven't really talked about this before but um, I said can you move these guys along I just feel a bit like threat I just feel a bit uncomfortable and then the officer at the time was like so are you someone famous then what's going on and I I was just mortified I'm like no I'm actually not really I'm just doing the show thing and it's just and I just remember just feeling really stupid and comfortable and he said well I can't move them along it's a public road so but they said this is what was told to me they said if you go outside and pose for a picture they'll they'll leave and I said I'm the not the cop said that the police officer said to me and I said I'm not going outside and posing for a picture because I've I, I've not outside my house because once you open yourself to that that's opening yourself and I'd stayed inside that day and then if, I remember the guy was it was parked in a, a disability car parking space and I took a picture of that and I was like well, let's just keep that for later um <laughs> But yeah, I remember, but I was so in shock and kind of by myself and felt so vulnerable at that stage. And I'm, I'm a strong person. I will stand up for myself. And I was so angry about it. I kind of felt, I have so much, I have so much anger, but I, I don't know how to deal with it. That's exactly what we're discussing. It's the culture. You know what I mean? If the culture is that any psychopath can stand outside your house and if he's holding some two-bob camera, call himself, you know what I mean? Stop, like, that, that's the difference. That's, and any other guy was outside my house, I'm like, I'm a stalker. Yeah, they'd move them. They'd be like, they need to, you know, and it's, it is, I think that's the culture of how we treat women and how that, you know, so the, it comes from the press and you go, that is terrifying. If it meant to be outside your house, you imagine you're in a house on your own, no matter what, they've got a camera, or whatever, you just go, I don't know these men. <laughs> like, I don't know who they work for. I don't know there's just two men out- this hasn't happened to me but I can imagine that would be like that's my nightmare that seeing just any man outside my house you know when you like you're scared you're in your pyjamas you go oh brilliant there is someone standing outside the house <laughs> and he's got a camera and he can document oh, it at last I'm not paranoid it's <laughs> happened you know and so that that you know and then you you say that you're allowed to take and then you put photos of people up their skirt you know so then you go how could you, you the, the culture then we look at it that, that should be out, an outrage every time and I'm like I'm not being like but it's all the culture of, of that being accepted that when did mm. that happen and they do it in schools now you know like boys are taking photos of girls and school, I remember you know, I remember the time and, and actually it's similar to like, this happened. This, I remember reading um, a piece about a girl in school this happened to but it happened to me when you know someone takes a picture of your skirt I almost didn't want to say anything about it because people will google and look see that picture so I'm like yeah. if I say anything about it that's just going to get that's more clickbait right, yes, so do I say nothing and I, re- I remember reading a piece and it was like it was like some anonymous talking about it and saying how this guy had taken pictures and it was an ex-boyfriend and he put them up but she didn't want to say anything about it because more people will see it so you're kind of stuck in this really fucked up cycle and are you optimistic of 
change coming in that culture because you know there is an example of a cop who behaved terribly I mean he's a total example of exactly that culture his response should not be are you famous his response should be about your well-being his response was am I meeting a celebrity I mean that's that's where his head went and he's meant to be a you know a protector of the peace those 11 people in that Belfast trial had to me a wrong assumption of what consent was even with the facts presented in front of them they could not see that this was consent this was non-consensual we're we're really close to running out of time but I, i i struggle to find hope in it i struggle to find hope that it's not all hot air like I, I have conversations with cab drivers all the time. We take an inordinate amount of cabs as stand-ups. I, any city I go to, I try to gauge by the barman or whoever it is I'm meeting, what do you make of this? Just to see. Mm. And you would be amazed. Nine times out of ten, you get the reaction you wish you didn't get. A lot of things confirm what you wish wasn't true. And I wonder, are we, you know, we're all here at the Soho Theatre having a very evolved discussion about consent, culture, sexuality. How optimistic are you that we can convert this to something bigger that changes how men are? I have hope. I think hope is the most important thing in the world. All it takes is one person in a, a massive group to create change. And you've seen that in the past with many things. You're never always going to change. You're not going to change everyone's, no. but it, it, it takes time. And I think women, I do think it's an awakening of consciousness. I think that's really what we're dealing with, a shift in consciousness about who we are, who we were, what we're capable of, how we're going to be treated, how we were treated. It's a little bit like PTSD. And I'm, I'm using, it's quite a dramatic term, but a bit like, oh, what? You know, what? Where, where, am I? where do I live in the world? You know, what's my role? And I think... Every, you see these especially the youth you know they, they, I would say that a lot of the taxi drivers there is a certain generational gap I'm not saying the whole way and of course the case in Belfast says that you know and there's always but I think there is hope and there is um, we wouldn't be talking about it if we weren't hopeful about it it'd be too mm. dark As also we have I know it's like women I mean we, we, we all have like responsibility to especially the people in our life and, and I know for me because I know we're almost up at time I don't want to get because it's a whole other thing to talk about but I've got two younger brothers and, and my dad who is you know an older generation who would kind of be when it comes to voting and using his vote oh, what's the point you know there's no point and blah 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 and I, I remember sending you know with, with repeal the 8th and, and, and the referendum in May and just I can't vote because I've been away for so long and I just send a little message to the family group whatsapp saying I know that you you know you don't always use your vote but a lot of people have worked really hard for that vote and I want you to think you know if that was me or you know think of what that means and I remember getting a message back from my dad going we've all registered and we've all thought, thought about it and we will be voting and and that just that man 10 years ago might have had a different mm. had a different opinion and for me that's hope yeah, humanity grows and changes and that's exactly it you know that you know we can all I think you have to see that we have to see that hope for the best and also see the best thing that, that is happening you know to not only focus on the dickheads to get the airtime there are people doing amazing things and pushing things forward and doing so much for you know women and uh, yeah so we, gratitude is, is also part of it 
Guys, it's been a total pleasure. Thank you so much, Laura Whitmore, Roshan Connerty, for doing it. And thanks to all of you guys for coming to the Soho Theatre, Paolo on uh, on sound over there, everyone at Avalon, Brian Connolly for producing Tina, and Mike, you couldn't make it this evening. But thank you all for being here. It's been a great pleasure. We'll see you back here at Soho Theatre very, very soon. Thank you very much. Thanks, thank guys. You. Thank you so much. It was so much fun. Massive thanks to everyone who's been in touch with the show in the last few weeks. We've always extended the conversation into our email and we want you to get in touch. I will be reading out the emails on Thursday the 6th at the Other Palace Theatre for our next live episode. So do get in touch. Podcast at gmail.com is the way to enter the conversation. You may be able to raise a point on misogyny and rap music, the topic for our episode one on that night, or on calling out your family. Have you called out someone's uh, conversation or speech or behaviour in your daily life? How did it go? Did it pan out well? I've had a discussion with one person over calling it out during a stag party of all places. I mean, let's have the conversation. Let's continue and invite you guys in to talk about it. It's the only way that things are going to change. It's my pleasure to produce this podcast for you. And it wouldn't be possible without the help and the research of Kyle Cotter and Brian Connolly, our producer. Shout out to Laura Whitmore and Roshan Connolly for their incredible involvement and hilarious conversation on this night. If you want more, please come to the Other Palace Theatre December 6th. That's next Thursday. Tickets are nearly sold out and I want as many listeners to be there for what is essentially our Christmas party and the final two episodes of season one. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next time for another episode of Men Behaving Better. Inside my hand, so I dig into my pocket, all my money spent. So I just deep up, still coming up with lint. So I start my mission, leave my residence, thinking how I could I get some dead presidents. I need money. I used to be a stick up kid, so I think of all the devious things I did. I used to roll up, roll up, roll up. I used to roll up, roll up.